morning. For those of us observing Yom Kippur this evening and tomorrow, we wish you peace and Gamasha Tima Tova, which literally means a good final sealing in the book of life for the coming year. And now, uh, welcome to worship these words from Gretchen Haley. Give up the fight for some other moment, some other life than here and now. Give up the longing for some other world, the wishing for other choices to make, other songs to sing, other bodies, other ages, other countries, other stakes. Purge the past, forgive the future, for each come too soon. Surrender only to this life, this day, this hour, not because it does not constantly break your heart, but because it also beckons with beauty, startles with delight, if only we keep waking up. This is the gift we have been given, these body clothes, this heartbreak, this pulse, this breath, this life, these friends, this hope. Here we remember ourselves, all a part of it all, giving thanks together. Come, let us worship. And we'll have a, good morning, everybody. We'll have announcements from Abby Marski, our board president. Hi, good morning and welcome. Uh, we're recording this so everyone, everyone is muted. So switch to gallery view and say hello. Um, we'll have uh, information in the chat box uh, as well coming through the service from Dara. So grab a chalice. Um, after the service, we'll have a virtual coffee hour. So stick around, it's 20 minutes and you'll get to see friends new and old. Um, we're excited to offer micro gatherings. We miss you. And in response to the very, very felt need so many of us have had uh, to gather in person, the board and the ministers are looking for different ways to have distinct micro gatherings. So when you're thinking about what you might want to offer or attend, think small, think outside, think spaced. So send your ideas to Nathan, uh, email in the chat box with a description of the time, the locale, the number of people, and whether or not you want kids there. Um, think about maybe doing apple picking, outdoor meditation, and outdoor yoga. Let's take advantage when the, uh, the weather is conducive. And thank you. Uh, tonight is the first meeting of a covenant group for new people. So that's going to be at 7. And again, more chat in the details. Um, and there's also information from the, uh, in the chat about uh, for new visitors to fill out our welcome form. So thank you. And we're so glad you're here. So everybody switch over to gallery view and say hi. I can't do it. We shall be known by the company we keep, by the ones who circle around to tend these fires. 
We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth. It is time now, it is time now that we cry, it is time we lead ourselves into the here in our congregation and lucky to be one. Um, as you just saw and heard from that beautiful uh, musical piece and uh, video, today um, we join Unitarian Universalists across the United States in lifting up the, frankly, the uh, imperative work of um, access to voting in the democratic process this election cycle. And all the, the voices and the, uh, the people you saw in that video just a moment ago reflect the diversity in our Unitarian versus movement, um, diversity of race, diversity of age, uh, diversity of theology, diversity of political perspective. And some of the, um, the things we're gonna hear this morning, you know, they reflect our, our differences as well as our similarities. So um, lean into the fact that we belong, you and I, um, to each other in our creation in Sherburne, but also across the country to um, a covenant that holds us together uh, across our distinctions and differences as we think about and lean into this important work of um, accessing the voting process and the democratic process of this election cycle. So I'd love for you to join myself and Emily in our opening words this morning. 
I will read um, the first part and then please respond. Emily will, will uh, respond, but join in Emily um, into your screen. I know it's muted, but uh, I can, we can all see your lips moving so we know actually who's participating and who isn't. <laughs> so we begin, hope rises. It rises from the heart of life, here and now, beating with joy and sorrow. Hope longs. It longs for good to be affirmed, for justice and love to prevail, for suffering to be alleviated, and for life to flourish in peace. Hope remembers. It remembers the dreams of those who have gone before and reaches for connection with them across the boundary of death. And hope acts. It acts to bless, to protest, and to repair. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, we have our first hymn now, Love Will Guide Us. We'll have words in the chat box, and I urge you to sing along to this familiar and beloved hymn. Thanks. This week, as is our um, tradition this year, we will have kids from our congregation light our chalice and lead us in our covenant. So if you brought a chalice, I invite you to get it now. And uh, Joshua and Eliza Andrus will be leading our chalice lighting. And please join them in saying the covenant. Love is the spirit of this church and service is law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek truth and love, and to help one another.
And please join us in singing our covenant, which will come up in uh, singing our doxology, which will come up in just a moment. Okay, good morning, everybody. So now is the time in our service for our Wonder Box, and I would like to invite any kids who are here to come on forward for our Wonder Box. Uh, it's good to see you all this morning. So this morning, let's see what's in our Wonder Box. We have a piece of paper with a very old picture on it, and I wonder if any of you know who this is. kids or adults, and you can put it in the chat box if you do. But um, this morning we're going to hear a story from um, the folks who helped us put together this worship service at UU The Vote. Um, three really awesome uh, people are going to tell us a story about this person. And this person, her name is Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, and she was a Unitarian and also um, was a member of Af an African Methodist Episcopal Church, and she was a really remarkable person. So I invite you to settle in for the story about her, and I will see you after the video. All right, everyone. So gather together, because we are gonna talk about somebody amazing. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper was born and raised into a free black family in 1825. Her family lived in Maryland where slavery was still legal. Being born free in a land where people who looked like you were enslaved was something that inspired both Frances and her family to become abolitionists. When she was very young, both of her parents died she went to live with her aunt and uncle. Theirs was an abolitionist household. They worked to end slavery. And they also ran a school where black children, including Francis, received an education. While still a young teen, she went to work as a housekeeper and seamstress in the household of a Baltimore bookstore owner. Her employers encouraged the inquisitive Francis to use their big library. She devoured books and began to write poetry and essays which appeared in the newspaper. By the time she was 20 years old, her writings were published in her first book, Forest Leaves. In 1850, Congress passed a law that allowed slave catchers to kidnap, enslave, and sell free black people in states where slavery was legal. 
her aunt and uncle fled from Maryland to Canada. Frances fled to Ohio, which did not allow slavery, and then two years later to Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, she became involved in the Underground Railroad, a movement that helped people escaping from slavery. Throughout this all, Frances continued to write and to publish books of poetry, much of it against slavery. In time, Frances became the first Black woman to earn a living through the use of her words, living modestly and donating much of her income to helping her uncles work with the Underground Railroad. In 1854, the Maine Anti-Slavery Society hired her to travel all over the Northeast to make anti-slavery speeches. She became one of the most famous speakers and authors of her time. All kinds of people came to hear her speak, but she made a point of not charging Black people admission. Frances was progressive throughout her life. While she wrote and spoke against slavery, she also took other kinds of actions. She refused to wear or eat goods that were farmed by enslaved workers, including cotton and sugar. She wouldn't wear clothes made of cotton or eat food that contained sugar. In 1860, the year that the Civil War began, Frances Watkins married Benton Harper, who already had three children. The two had a daughter together, and Frances took time off from her writing and speaking to tend to her blended family. Unfortunately, just a few short years later, her husband died, leaving her as a young widow responsible for many unpaid bills. Frances Watkins Harper made the difficult decision to send her children to live with relatives and go back on speaking tours in order to make money and provide for her family. By then, slavery had ended, and she spoke for women's rights and for legal and civil rights for Black people. She wrote poems and essays about the experiences of new freed slaves struggling to make their way despite the damage done to Black people by slavery. In 1870, she joined the Unitarian Church of Philadelphia. There, she found a community where white and black people came together and where many shared her passion for justice. In many ways, Frances Harper was at home in two different worlds. Although she was used to working with white people, she also kept her connection to the black community in Philadelphia. She maintained her membership in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, where she taught Sunday school. She wrote three novels specifically for Black people, highlighting family connections and choices about racial identity. She pushed for education and voting rights for Black people, and she encouraged Black children to learn and grow, just as she had been encouraged as a child. During her long life, as you have heard, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper offered her voice, her words, her money, her labor, and most importantly, her love to the work of justice-making for her people. She used her voice and her privilege as an educated Black, free Black woman to raise awareness of the plight of Black people in the United States after the Civil War. We honor her memory and her place among our Unitarian Universalist ancestors.
So thanks for watching that with me. I think she was a pretty amazing person. And one of the things that I think was really amazing about Frances Ellen Watkins Harper was the way that she lived her values in the world. And that's a lot of what we're talking about today in our UU The Vote. We're, thinking, we're talking a lot about how do we bring our Unitarian Universalist values out into the world and help it shape the world that we want to see around us. So each week that I'm also going to be giving a task for families and kids to do, maybe for kids to do on their own, maybe for families to do together. And this week I have a, a conversation prompt that I want you to talk about with your family. So maybe over dinner, maybe in the car, maybe another time, your task is as a family, and if you don't have kids, you can also uh, answer this question. So this task is for everybody. So my question is, who are some people Unitarian Universalist or not, who you think live UU values in the world? And what values are they? And how do those people act on them? So it's kind of a question of who do you admire who lives our UU values in the world? And I'll put this question in the chat box. And I invite you to talk about this later with your families um, or your uh, parents or your kids or whoever you want to talk about it with. All right. Thanks, Heather. So friends, let us um, find ourselves inside our bodies after another week of uh, so much news and perhaps for you um, at home with kids who are going back to school virtually or hybrid. Um, for those of you that have, those jobs have kept them at home and keep them at home, For those of us who have watched too much TV and too much screen, just close your eyes and let us join in singing our prayer hymn, We Are One. In the waters, we are So we begin this morning as we do every Sunday with our prayers for loved ones. And today I'd like to begin by lifting up two uh, people in particular and then invite us to name others. Um, the first is Dan Crawford, husband of Linda Crawford, who is in the hospital this morning with um, some kind of heart ailment. And so Linda is there with him 
He's attending Wellesley, so we send our love and our prayers to him. And the second person that I'd like us all to to hold in our hearts this week is Emily Bruce, who is our beloved ministerial intern. She sees the Ministerial Fellowship Committee on Thursday afternoon, I believe at four o'clock. So, um, and this is the committee that uh, uh, really kind of, you know, gets to celebrate Emily, um, we believe, and, uh, and I know, um, celebrate Emily and sort of give her a, a, uh, the gateway pass to look for, uh, for ministry positions in the future. So as somebody said in the chat box, you got this, Emily, you got it, and we love you, and, uh, and it's going to go just fine. So friends, please add your other prayers for loved ones in the chat box. And as we continue to hold all of these names and lives, Emily will light a chalice in their honor. And friends, as we hold our loved ones, we also look out beyond our own lives and the lives of those in our circle to ask for prayers for the world. This beautiful and complicated world that we belong to. For all of these prayers for our world and for all those still coming in, we also light a candle. And last but never least, it is so important in these times to name the things that we are grateful for, the gifts that we do not have to earn in order to receive. And we need to name these as often 
and as loudly as we can. So maybe if you want to use all caps, whatever it takes, um, tell us what you are feeling grateful for. Gotta say, this is my most favorite part of the week, I think. So as these continue to come in, Emily, please light a candle. I invite you to pray with me, remembering that prayer, the way that I like to think about it, as you often hear me say, is not about changing things, but prayer is changing people so that we can change things. So dear God of our many names and our open, broken, and hoping hearts, these weeks are too much with us these days. In the season of Yom Kippur, in this weekend, where we put down our mistakes of the year and we think about starting over. Our prayer this morning is to equip us for the long haul. For Brianna Taylor's family, and the laws that don't work for black and brown people. Equip them and equip us for the long haul. For the hypocrisy we see in our Congress and the disappointment in our leaders, Let our frustration lead to agency and equip us for the long haul. For the bluster of the current president and his roiling of the election process in order to distract from COVID-19 and everything else that has fallen from that. Let us keep our eyes on what is most important and equip us for the long haul. For school going back now this third week, for all of our young ones, virtually, hybrid, full-time, and for their parents and guardians, equip every one of you and every one of us for the long haul. And for winter coming, and meanwhile, these warm days, not enough rain, of course, but they are still beautiful. Equip us with gratitude.
for the long haul. Friends, what will it take for us to be long haul people? This is our prayer that we will have resilience and patience and the ability to name our feelings, capacity to vote early, and the unrelenting power to give love and then to receive it. Let's be held together in several moments of stillness all of us.
Jeff Brown will introduce our reading for us. Thanks, Reverend Nathan. Uh, our reading this morning will actually be delivered by the author of it uh, via video. This is Nicole Presley, who's the National UU The Vote organizer. Hi, I'm Nicole Presley, National Organizer of You The Vote, and I'm so honored to be a part of You The Vote and a part of this special worship service. By this time, you've probably gotten used to virtual worship. You've made sure your computer is charged, you've searched your email for Zoom links, or you've scrolled through your social media feed for the live stream. But from whatever platform you're entering worship today, you are in sacred space. Getting here was not easy. Remember the spring? Remember many of us had to learn new skills and to stretch ourselves and maybe our internet speed to continue to gather with our beloved faith community. We learned Zoom, we downloaded apps, and we reached out for help to be with one another. Transformation is always a stretch and we need to bring that same energy to this year's election. In the past few months, I have witnessed amazing things from all of you. We created a goal to reach out to 1 million voters and we are almost there. We stretched ourselves. We stretched ourselves to get on another Zoom call, to learn to text voters, phone bank and send postcards. We learned how to be vulnerable and have critical conversations with members of our communities. You use, we are not just a faith community that believes another world is possible, but we are a community that is willing to act to make that world a reality. We have a legacy of showing up. And we know that our victories are never guaranteed. And we know that those victories are never won by those in power ceding it willingly. The people imagined it. The people demanded it. And we, the people, gathered to make it so. In all of our movements, the stakes were high. But instead of mobilizing out of the fear of defeat, we have organized out of a sacred calling to build a world that we know is possible. That is why nonpartisan work is not just important, but is absolutely revolutionary. We come together to learn, to create, and to put into practice ways of being towards our collective liberation. That is our victory. And as the chant goes, I believe that we will win. I believe that together through sacred and sustained work now and beyond November, we can call forth a world that moves towards our collective liberation. But we must all show up to vote love in 2020. That means showing up to the work that is needed, not just the work that is comfortable. That means showing up in service and in solidarity to combat a sinful campaign of voter suppression and intimidation. That means recognizing that white supremacy and capitalism are the technologies through which political agency and democracy are stripped from marginalized communities. So when I say vote love, I don't just mean voting our values, although I absolutely want you to do that if you are able. I don't just mean showing up to voter contact work, even though I absolutely want everyone to join into this work. I mean centering the oppressed, working to free them all, to defend black lives, 
to fight for climate justice and healthcare for all, for reproductive justice, and for safe and thriving schools and communities. I mean continuing whatever work is necessary to make sure every ballot is counted and that the results and will of the people are respected. We have important choices to make in 2020, but if we are to really vote love and defeat hate in 2020, we must also commit to continue to side with love every single day after November 3rd and into 2021. If you are in it for the long haul, if you believe that another world is possible because you are gathered in a community that puts faith into action, if you are ready to stretch beyond November 3rd to protect democracy, join us. Take the Vote Love Pledge to join a team that is organizing to take action in this election and ready to mobilize after November 3rd for the work ahead. Join me, take your phone out, text pledge love to 51555 to take the pledge today or go online at uuthevote.org. We need everyone in this work. Thank you for finding your role in this work. Thank you for doing it with joy and hopefulness. And thank you for joining UU The Vote. Let's make sure love always wins. I'd like to invite uh, Jess Jonas, who will now introduce our offering this morning. Today's offering will go to you, you the vote, which several of you have been involved with over these past few weeks in the form of writing postcards um, to people, voters who live in areas with increased voter suppression. You, you, the vote is a nonpartisan movement. Um, and it's not only about mobilizing our communities to vote love and defeat hate in the 2020 election. It's about building safety and freedom for all of our communities, even in the midst of crisis and change. We're offering concrete and meaningful ways to engage from now until election day and beyond. Because of UUs who have given generously to UU the vote, grants have been directed to our state action networks in Ohio, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Arizona. Our members are working with frontline communities and faith coalitions um, to talk about our values, fight voter suppression, and really doing all that we can to make sure uh, voters turn out in November. For example, when Ohio's elections went entirely to vote by mail, UU Justice Ohio was crucial in ensuring that voters had the information necessary to access their ballots. In partnership with Reclaim Our Vote, we're making texts and calls to connect voters to the information they need to overcome the barriers that are being placed in their way. UU the vote means putting schools and communities first, investing in our people and communities, fighting white supremacy, and starting to reshape and dismantle those systems and structures built to oppress. Simply electing a new county attorney can mean ending cash bail, decarcerating up to 50%, and canceling contracts with private for-profit prisons. 
You, you, the vote is a call to prayer. It's about fighting for the future of democracy, the future of our planet, and the future of our faith. In this historic moment of such profound brokenness and enormous possibility, the world needs our faith to be bold and visible and clear. Please live into that promise, our covenant, by donating to you, you the vote today. Thank you for your love, your work, and your generosity. Thank you so much, Jess. Jess has uh, been uh, my partner in crime as we have uh, launched the UU The Vote effort in our congregation this fall. Uh, we are collecting our offering as per usual through Realm. So you'll see the instructions and the link in the chat box on how to give. And uh, please designate whether you would like your donation to go towards your pledge or towards UU The Vote. Um, so see that page for more info. And then we'll also post this at the end of the service as well. And thank you all so much, as always, for giving what you can when you can. Thank you. sound of one voice, one spirit, one voice, the sound of one who makes a choice, this is the sound of one voice, this is the sound of The sound of me singing with you, helping each other to make it through. This is the sound of voices, too. This is the sound of voices, too. This is the sound of voices, three. Singing together in harmony, surrendering to the mystery. This is the sound of voices three. This is the sound of voices three. This is the sound of all of us. Singing with love and the will to trust. Leave the rest behind, it'll turn to dust. This is the sound of all of us. This is the sound of all of us. sound of one voice 
people one voice A song for every one of us This is the sound of one voice This is the sound of one voice Thank you to all the singers for that beautiful song for us. So friends, here we are another Sunday, another week. Here's our world and beautiful and terrible things still happen. Let us be not afraid. Keep our hearts tender. Keep our eyes soft. This is what you and I are about. We know there's no answer but to love each other. We do our best every week to bear witness against unnecessary destruction. And then we gather in community virtually these days to practice being the person that we look in the mirror and we say we want to be. And these times in particular, it's good to remember that we cannot do everything. Sometimes you can't even do two things, but you can do something, I know. And just remember that, that whatever that little something is, that it's just never nothing. It's never nothing. So as Leonard Cohen reminds us, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. And say with me, that is how the light gets in. In a moment, I'm going to introduce a, um, it's a little bit of a homily from my uh, friend, uh, Susan Frederick Gray. He's also the president of the Unitarian Universalist Association. Um, we're about 1,100 congregations, if you're wondering how big we are. We're not big at all. We're very small, but we're mighty. Um, and she's also a St. Louis native, by the way, so she reached for the Cardinals along with me. Um, and please don't put the booze in the uh, chat box like you typically do when we're live in church. But before I just introduce uh, Susan, I wanted to um, share with us, you know, I've been thinking about, uh, obviously, you know, we're talking about you, the vote today and voting. And I was thinking about our son, Emerson, who's 20. He turned 20 in July, which is hard to believe that I'm old enough to have a 20 year old. And um, so I was thinking about him and thinking about, the uh, November four years ago when um, Donald Trump was elected and that whole time period. And then of course the Sunday after uh, in church that Sunday for those of you who were coming to our community then. Um, so M was, uh, Emerson was 16 at that election. Of course he couldn't vote. And I'm just thinking about what it's like to be a kid and a, um, a teenager, in particular, uh, those, those teenagers on the precipice of voting and um, kind of wondering like what it's all about and why, why and how it is so important. Um, and I was thinking back to like when I was 18, I think I took it for granted. I know I did. I mean, in fact, I don't remember my first ever election cycle that I voted for president in. But Emma's, uh, Emma's at, uh, he's a sophomore at Boston University. Um, he's in his dorm, taking most of his classes. And 
his mom and I, Karen and I, um, were were adamant over the summer that he signed up to get the uh, the mail-in ballot. So of course it hasn't come yet for people in Massachusetts. But as we're talking about this this process today, I was thinking about what I'm going to do when I get that ballot in the mail for him. I'm going to get in my car when that ballot comes, and I'm going to drive probably a little bit over the speed limit. And I'm going to meet him outside. And then he'll ask me to buy him coffee, which he always does. And then I'm going to give him that ballot. And I'm going to tell him that this is maybe one of the most important things that you will do this fall. And I want him, as you'll hear from my friend Susan in a second, to vote love. Invite him to what that word means and invite him to express his values and to see how one way that he can literally practice love is by filling out the ballot. I don't know what he's gonna put down, I mean, I still help to pay for his tuition, so maybe I can expect that, but I want him to vote love. And I think that he's going to remember this moment, this election, this first ever voting for presidential election in his life. I think he's going to remember that for the rest of his life, as I hope we all do. So whatever the journey is for you, and for the people that you care about and for the postcards that you filled out. I just invite us to reframe this whole process. The debates are coming up, the frenzy of it all, the the news feeds. Strip that all away and just think about voting love. Voting love. I invite us here in the last few minutes to to hear from our collective um, president of our denomination, Susan who's just great, um, and I, she's got a very hard job these days, but she calls us to purpose and to action. So India, do you wanna play Susan for us, please? I was 13 years old when I became a Unitarian Universalist. I was raised in this faith, but I was 13 when I claimed it as my own. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was waiting for my parents to finish their committee meetings after service. All the other kids had left, and I was bored. I wandered into the visitor's corner, and a little red wallet card caught my eye. It said in bold letters on the front, what do Unitarian Universalists believe? My 13-year-old self wondered, what do Unitarian Universalists believe? as I read the 10 statements written by the Reverend David O'Rankin. In my heart, in my soul, as I read those words, I said, yes, this is what I believe. One phrase in particular planted itself in me like the deepest truth, and I never forgot it. We believe in the motive force of love. It was in that moment when I knew that this was my religion. I start with this story 
to ground the work of you, you, the vote in our theology, which is its foundation and its inspiration. This year marks the 250th anniversary of what we celebrate as the beginning of universalism in the United States. It was on September 30th, 1770, that universalist John Murray preached his first sermon on this continent. And the truth that I read in that little red wallet card, the truth I've never forgotten, is the message of universalism. 250 years ago, in the context of religious notions of God rooted in punishment, damnation, and the division of humanity between worthy and unworthy, saved and damned, the idea of universal salvation, that God's love is unconditional, that no one is cast out, and that salvation is not individual but collective, was radical and liberating. Universalism proclaimed that humanity was bound together in a common destiny and that love, love is the thread that binds each of us to the other and everyone to creation. Universalists believe that God is love. They also believed in hell. They just believed that it existed here and now on the earth. The great universalist preacher Hosea Ballou was clear about how politicians and those in power used fear, stoked fear, to protect their greed and corruption and self-interest, and he knew the suffering that resulted from that. Rather than speak of theology in terms of speculative notions of God, Ballou spoke of it in terms of human experience here and now and our relationships to each other. A society that lives out the motive force of love would be one that fosters joy and liberation and thriving for all people. This is the highest calling of our faith as Unitarian Universalists, to live out, defend, and embrace this motive force of love in our lives, in our actions, in our commitments, and in our society. This is why you, you, the vote says vote love. Today, in our context, we are witnessing the emboldening and authorization of ideologies rooted not in love and interdependence, but in domination, authoritarianism, and dehumanization. And just to be clear, this is not new. It has a long and deadly history on this continent going back more than 400 years. And yes, even our universalist ancestors came from that same lineage of Christian European conquest and limited the vision of universalism only to white society a limit that we are still trying to redeem ourselves from. It is dehumanization that creates systems that put children in cages, that deny health care to our transgender siblings, that allow police violence and the murder of black people to continue unabated and without accountability. Dehumanization that allows triage protocols that devalue the lives of disabled people and that lead to systemic divestment from communities. The resources from housing to education, healthcare to jobs, and the criminalization of poverty. Just as Hosea Ballou 
named it the tool of dehumanization. It's propaganda is fear. Propaganda that tells us to fear our neighbor, that we are not family and kin, but enemies. This is the exact opposite of our theology of universalism that tells us that we have a common destiny and we are connected to one another in love. This is why you, you, the vote says vote, love, defeat, hate. And while the forces of dehumanization and domination have always been a part of U.S. history, so too have been those who have resisted and organized for the values of dignity, equity, humanity, and love. These days are heartbreaking, they're infuriating, and they're frightening. On days when I lose my own strength, I turn to the words of Alice Walker, who reminds us, we remember our ancestors because it is an easy thing to forget that we are not the first to suffer, rebel, fight, love, and die. The grace with which we embrace life in spite of the pain and the sorrow is always a measure of what has gone before us. We remember our ancestors, theological, familial, and in movement. We remember Francis, Ellen Watkins, Harper, Hosea Ballou, John Brown, Sitting Bull, Ida B. Wells, Dr. King, Ann Braden, and so many more whose names history does not remember. Those who struggled and risked and fought and loved for the principles of justice, equity, liberty. This is why in You, You, The Vote, we say vote love, we say defeat hate, because dear ones, we are on a precipice. Every single one of our most deeply held values is on the line right now. The current powers in government are showing in everything they do that the inherent worth and dignity of so many immigrants, black people, disabled folks, trans and queer people does not matter to them. Human agency, interdependence, the democratic process are being disrupted and defiled daily. It is a radical act of faith to not only continue to believe in all of our cherished principles, but to demand them by speaking out, taking risks, organizing, leveraging our resources and building networks of solidarity and power to protect one another and these values. We are on a precipice and our actions right now will affect whether we have a chance to continue to bring our bold values forward, to rebuild, expand, and strengthen our democracy, to confront police violence, to upend racial inequity, to change divestment from communities, and make moves to protect the climate. Now is the time to draw on the grace, the courage, and the strength of all those who went before, to widen our comfort zones, and to do all we can to vote love and defeat hate. If you haven't taken any form of action yet, sign up for a shift with you, you, the vote. I can tell you that it's fun. And if you've written postcards to voters, but you feel nervous about phone banking, do it with your fellow UUs. And if you've been all in with you, you, the vote from the beginning, keep it up and start planning for how you will show up and organize after November 3rd.
because democracy will not be restored in one election. It's been under systemic attack for decades. Injustice will not roll down like waters in one election. Voting matters. It's absolutely critical. But it is not the end. It is just one piece of the long haul work of organizing for a future where all are free and where all can thrive. Will you show up in the streets set up to contribute to a bail or legal assistance fund, open your church building to protesters needing refuge from state repression, tap into your own endowment or discretionary funds to make sure that grassroots organizers have the funds they need for their work. There is so much to do. And our faith calls us to love more radically, to give more generously, to believe more fervently that another world is possible and be willing to be all in for that future. As you've heard me say many times before, this is no time for a casual faith, no time for a casual commitment to what you hold most dear. And this is no time to go it alone. Friends, we are in this work together. I invite you to be deeper in this work of you, you, the vote with us. May we remember that we are held by love always. May we remember that we are held by and with one another. And may we all together be all in today, tomorrow, next month, and next year for justice, for love, for democracy, and for a future that is free and thriving for all people. May it be so. And now let's sing together about moving forward and taking action with one more step. The words are in the chat box. Thank you for singing. and every one of you for taking the time out of your morning to spend on the screen. I know how exhausting it is and how 
disconnecting it can be. But when you show up for yourself, you also show up, I want you to know for the people above you on the screen and below you on either side. And what I do often during the service is I just page through and I see who is here. And I look at those people who laugh at my jokes in particular, because they're my favorites. <laughs> I just want us to be reminded, you and I, that we are in community and we are together in these disconnected and disconnecting times. And we are that way because of you, because you take the time to be here. So we began to say our call to ministry, which is going to go up. These words are ones that we began to say together as a congregation right after Katrina in 2005. So they have a history of uniting us in our work for the communities that surround us and the communities beyond us, which is what voting love this season is all about. So please say with me. We go forth into the world in peace to act with works of love, to affirm each person's dignity, and then to cherish the living earth. We'll hear our postlude and reminder to um, encourage you to stay for coffee hour, quote unquote coffee hour, to connect with a few other folks, um, to hear how they're doing, and to be able to, uh, to share how you are. Thank you so much, friends. Mm -hmm.